I am launching my inaugural podcast here at South by Southwest called Coffee and Mayhem. So I'm very excited about that. I have some fantastic guests, some personal friends. I'm blessed to have Jamie Brodsnack. Brodnacks? I, I you screwed up it. already, Darren. Just... I it so much. Yeah, you were just right there. Oh, Brodnacks. Brodnacks with Black Girl Nerd. I'm the king of rock himself, my good friend DMC. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. And then Dino. That's it? That's Nothing it. Else? That's it? Oh, I, I, How about my good looking. I couldn't pronounce her name. You think I'm going to pronounce co-host? your Greek name? Costandinos Yorios Pandazis. And I'm supposed to pronounce that. Um, so this is our first time in Austin. Um, I know, Jamie, you've been here before. Yep. Do you, have you been well, here no, before? Well, no, this is actually my first time experiencing um, South by Southwest. I came here last year for like two hours. Wow. Spoke and left. So this is actually my first time at South by Southwest. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's, ah, that's pretty interesting. Because I'm what here is- for four days now. Last time I was just here for like two hours. Literally. And today, you've been here for two hours. Yes, but I have <laughs> many more to go. I mean, how do you, for 78 more to go? So oh, it's wow. going to be good to go, yeah. What, what are you doing here for four days this time? Um, 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 uh, I'm doing um, a performance f- uh, Friday night for um, Showtime. Yes, ah. for Showtime, the shy... Series? Shy. Yeah. Shy. The Shy, yeah. The Shy. shy. Yes, Wait's I'm performing show. for yeah. The Shy. And then Saturday at 5 p.m., I'm performing with my band on the roof of Whole Foods. That's at 530. So <laughs> Very progressive. Yeah. And then that evening, I'm performing with The Roots at their event. Oh, so you got a yes. busy South Bar. Yes. Funny right. story, I'm not allowed in the Whole Foods in Santa Monica, California anymore. Why not? Um, what so, did you do? So apparently... There's a height requirement. The one right there on the corner. Yeah, the one right on the corner. I, was, I always go there to get there my is. cookies. I am wearing my sister's boots, by the way. That is happening. You um, said it was what like, did you do? You man? were dressed yeah. like Jessica Jones. I was dressed like Jessica Jones. Well, what happened was... From Whole Foods. Apparently Whole Foods doesn't sell ibuprofen, and I had no idea. What? They sell, like, yeah, they're, like, natural... Oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. have nothing that's yeah. fake. And so everything, like, expires before you get to the register. Yes. And I didn't know that they didn't sell anything that I needed. And I, I had the flu, and I was trying to get Dayquil and NyQuil. And they wouldn't sell it to me, no. and they were like, we have this bag that you breathe into and wish well thoughts, and you get healed Well, and you need, They asked you for a parent signature, too, right? Well, yeah, I also had to get that. But um, one thing led to another, and I just kind of flipped out and knocked over a bunch of registers and really? some medicine, and now yeah. I'm not so back. So pictures on the wall. The angry little boy. Stay away from this guy. So you yeah, banned at all Whole Foods? Just, uh, just the Santa Monica one. Oh. There's a picture of him at that Whole Foods. But I also had my dog with me at the time, too, so there was that. So they have a photo but of him. But they like dogs there. They do like they dogs. They love dogs. They, they do. angry little boys. They dog hotels in L.A. They did. Dog, dog pet hotel. Pet hotel. Pet hotel. Um, yeah. But my dog. Pet discos. I've seen it all. The thing about my dog is he's an pet asshole. Whole Foods. He's not, um, yeah, well, yeah, they do have pet food. They, they do. do, yeah. Darren only they buys his dog. restaurants for dogs. <laughs> Darren will really? only do buy five-star restaurants yeah. for Darren's for dog dogs, will man. only eat food from one specific store. Yeah, he won't even eat it from Whole Foods. Wow. So my, and you've, and Rob, Rob, Rob Quinn over there, who's I, I back need, there, you've met. Rob, Rob. Rob. Oh, yeah. are you still here, Rob? I am here. I need to interrupt a second. We're getting very far afield. You can't let him go on this. He was in Whole Foods with a dog. We talked about Whole Foods the whole time. And lost his shit. And started throwing stuff because he couldn't get aspirin. Have you ever been to Los Angeles? But who acts like okay, that? Okay, so regular First Wednesday. of all, I only threw it wow. on the bottom shelf. 
That's number one, because I could not get someone to help me up to the top shelf, which, which is a true story. I've actually had to ask people to be like, I want to go up. Um, and it really used to upset my ex-girlfriend so a lot. So basically what we're talking about, we had an angry little hobbit running around with a dog, <laughs> yeah. screaming about aspirin. He's wearing the same shoes, so they really thought he was a hobbit. Okay, so Legolas was running yeah. through the, the store. Pretty much. So okay. listen, man, yeah. don't do anything at this Whole Foods. Yeah, do you want to be invited back? We want to get through I've, the show. Yeah. I brought ibuprofen with me. So but more fine. importantly, D, are you you're working on uh, you doing your comic book here? Anything with your comic book? I'm sitting here right here talking with y'all about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. What got you into comic books, by the way? Um, I was a little kid growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York, and you should write a song like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I went. Comic books was a <clears throat> excuse me, uh, um, empowering entity in my life. I grew up in Hollis, Queens, New York, and I went to Catholic school my whole life. So I had a lot going against me. I went went to Catholic school. Traumatic experience. I did too. Look how I turned out. I know. I wore glasses. See, before I round on my record, D's for doing it all of the time. M's for the rhymes. That all mine. C's for cool, cool ass can be in Rome and say, why you wear those glasses? And I would go, so I can see. (laughs) I didn't wear them to be cool, to be fashionable, or look good. I was telling you the truth. I wore my glasses so I could see. But prior to that, as a young kid growing up in Hollis, Queens, in the hood, who went to Catholic school, who Mm. wore a uniform, and wore glasses my whole life. I was, hey, spectacles, hey, binoculars, hey, four eyes. So life was miserable as a kid. I was a straight-A student, which I'm proud of. Always on the honor roll, five and six stars on the forehead. And then the other thing was I always read comic books. So I was this nerdy little geeky kid who went to Catholic school that wore glasses, who, who wore uniform, that read comic books. So that was perceived as not being cool and but what comic right. books did for me, when I read those Marvel comic books, it showed me the world that I li- really lived in. Like, they wasn't make-believe to me because Stanley was brilliant. He had the superheroes in New York City. So every time I opened up a Marvel comic book, I saw the city that I couldn't experience myself because I was too little and I couldn't leave the block. Mm. But oh, yeah, my mom was like, you have your ass in this house when that street light come on and you better not leave this block. <laughs> So Marvel comic books was my release from this real world that I was living in that was more relatable to me. The characters in it, you know, Peter Parker. Why do you think I rhymed about, excuse me, why do you think I rhymed about living in Queens my whole career? Because Peter Parker lived in Queens. Yeah. Spider-Man lived in Queens. Mm-hmm. So I had to let y'all know that on all my records. I'm from Queens, too. That was the, <laughs> really the inspiration behind it. But on the real talk, what comic books did for me was, was taught me how to deal with life. Yeah. Like, that world of comic books isn't make-believe. Look at those words right there. Man, you into that corny make-believe stuff. You're goddamn right I am. Because look at those words. Make, make-believe. Make-believe. Make the world believe your experience that's going on in your head. Because all your thoughts or your imagination, Albert Einstein said, imagination is more powerful than knowledge. And I'm going to prove it. Comic books taught me this. In this miserable world that I was living in, it taught me, define yourself with an adjective and then tell the world who you are. And I had no idea that was going to set me up to be not just a rapper, but the king of rock. For instance, if I say the amazing, you'll say Spider-Man. Right. If I say the mighty, you'll say Thor. 
and Mighty Mouse. Somebody shouted that out, and they said, no, that's not that's true. Remember Mighty Mouse? Mighty, Mighty Mouse. If I say the invincible, you'll say... Right? I, I don't and say if anything, I say yeah. the incredible, you will say. Oh. Oh. So that's what yeah. Marvel comic was was giving me as yeah. a kid. So that was my world. These powerful characters, these powerful de- definitions of self. So that's all. Look in as a kid, going to Catholic school, reading comics, going to Catholic school, reading comics. The thing that also comic books did to me was this. Since I was a straight, I was a straight A student because at the time the educators overlooked the fact since I was reading every day, it made me a good reader. See, all the, the I went to Catholic school, so the nuns and the, and the priest and Father Rudloff was like, don't let the kids read comic books. They need to be reading their textbooks and workbooks, which is true. All you kids out there, all you kids listening to me right now, you need to read your textbooks and workbooks. But why was I so gifted and skilled at reading those textbooks and work? Because I was reading comic books all day. The fact that I was reading comic books made me a good student. But it goes deeper than that, y'all. In school, in history, I would learn about how imaginations are powerful. Captain America would take me there. In school, I would learn about the sun, the moon, the stars, and the rings of Santa. But the Silver Surfer and the Fantastic Four would take me there. So all of this imagination became experiences and emotions, but I had nowhere to release it. But when hip-hop came over that bridge from the Bronx, it exploded out. So comic books, if it wasn't for comic books, I wouldn't be sitting here in front of y'all right now. She has if a it, similar if, y'all, if, y'all, if it wasn't for comic books, I wouldn't have the courage to get up on stage in front of y'all and rhyme and stuff like that. So comic books empowered me and gave me um, really real superpowers. She has a similar entrance into the comic field also. Oh, yeah. Well, I got into comic books when I was nine years old. And who saw the X-Men animated series on Fox back in the day? Yeah, yeah. So that was sort of my gateway into comics. And seeing Storm really did it for me. Seeing a, a woman that looked like me, you know, that had these really great superpowers. And I felt like, oh, my gosh, I, I can identify with this character. I identified with her story. Um, you know, this woman that um, was claustrophobic. And, and I just dealt with a lot of the things that she um, also dealt with. And um, I started collecting not only X-Men, but Excalibur, which was a really great book that featured a lot of superheroines. Um, and yeah, I just kind of got into that. And right now I talk about black superheroines on my podcast called Misty Knight's Uninformed Afro. <laughs> um, and it's great because I'm able to relive my experiences growing up by talking about Storm and then also talking about some of the newer um, superheroines. So uh, we talk about, there's an episode where we're talking about Gwendolyn from Saga, which is, Saga is life. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's been really great. And I'm just really excited that, you know, the comic book medium has become very popular and that it's sort of crossed into the intersections of pop culture and and people are really embracing it. I mean, who in here has seen Black Panther? Okay. Who has not seen Black, pa- Black I Panther? I have seen it yet because I've been on the road. You got to go, I'm bro. I'm judging you. Um, but right. no. I'm just going to see it, though. <laughs> I will see it. Please see it, yes. I mean, it's everything. Yeah, like people are now um, feeling empowered to read comic books because they're seeing their superheroes on the big screen, and I think that's really important. So, yeah. What's the the name of your podcast again? Misty Nights Uninformed Afro. (laughs) That that leads to, is there an an informed Afro? 
Well, uninformed, well, informed. I, I credit Steph, um, my co-host, that came up with the title. And there's a bit of a motif around hair that we talk about from one episode to the next. So um, at the end of the show questions, we talk about, you know, would you go out on a girl's night out with this character? And and all of these really fun questions that's centered around hair. But we really do dive into the origin stories and, you know, the backgrounds of each of these characters on the podcast. So Rob has a question for hair, too. He wants to know where his went. <laughs> <laughs> I had a misty night afro. We, so. D, no, you have not. Sure, I did. You were bold by choice. I had a beautiful mullet that came around. I would pet. It was the eighties. It was a weird. Oh, time. He said a mullet. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Nothing but. I'm mullet. sure the girls love that Business one. Business up here, party in the back. It was great. Rob, you have to hold the mic too. Nobody's phone. mad oh, at sorry. mullets. It's a mullet. Respect yeah, but, it. Yeah, but now it's now, popular. Now like, oh, it's not them. popular. D, come see, on. All of your, see, Be serious, no, D. No, I'm, no. Let me, let me, let me explain something to you. A lot of the stuff that we are attracted to, those things are already us. And I explain it like this: We think whether you know if Star Wars and comic books and Superman and Bugs Bunny, Powerpuff Girls, Gumby, the things that we are attracted to Gumby. when we come into this existence. A lot of times we think, no, those things, oh, those things were made be- for me. No, they were made because you exist. Mm. You identify with those things. My whole career on the microphone run in this realm of existence thought I just wrote dope rhymes. But my whole career, I'm letting my secret out right now. All I was doing was make-believing I was the most powerful entity to ever step on the microphone in the hip-hop universe. The dual identity thing, mild-mannered Clark Kent, you know, Peter Parker, he's an awkward kid that's going through school, but he was brilliant. So when I looked at Peter Parker, he was me. I was that awkward kid, but there was a power in knowing that being smart and educated was cool. Batman is smart as a mother. Right? Clark Kent, he plays like he's a dunce, but he's smart as a... Peter Parker's brilliant. You know what I'm saying? Mostly all these superheroes are brilliant. But at the same time, we also, we see their their vulnerabilities. You know what I'm saying? We see their weaknesses. They're no different from us, even though all they have these powers. So, you know, I put my comic book out three years ago, and people are like now thinking, oh, DMC's into comic books now. No, before hip-hop and before rock and roll, that was my influence. If you listen to King of Rock... On the King of Rock, I say, crash through walls, come through floors, bust through ceilings, and knock down doors. Rappers don't do that. Superheroes do that. Mm-hmm. So now that I got the comic <laughs> book out, that think about People thought I was just crashing through on the microphone. No, I was literally doing it. And the crazy thing is I spoke those words on records, and that's what started happening in the music business with Run DMC. See, to the world, I'm Daryl McDaniels. The initials of my name is DMC, but I could take that D and M and C and make it define anything that's powerful and positive to me. And that's what I was doing my whole career. I know, okay, if if the Hulk could be incredible and Iron Man could be invincible, when I get on a microphone, I could be the microphone master. I can be the dead DMC, devastating mic controller. And look how crazy I am. But it's real. You came on this show. <laughs> yes, exactly. want to hang out with us. We but, appreciate um, you holding it together. Um, what, what I did, I was sitting there one day, and because of combo, I was sitting there going, okay, Thor is the son of Odin from Asgard. He got a brother named Loki, and he got some Mike. Now, in this world here, I'm Daryl. My father's name is Byford. I got a brother named Alfred, and I got a microphone. So I became son of Byford, brother of Al. 
Atlanta's my mother and runs my pal. It's McDaniels, not McDonald's. These rhymes are Daryl's. Those burgers are Ronald's. I ran down my family tree. My mother, my father, my brother, and me. So everything that I was getting creatively and um, artistically, um, linguistically, uh, my imagination, character, identity from those comic books, I took that, those formats, those simple images, ideas, and concepts, and applied it to my microphone life. But here's the kicker. Everything that I spoke on a microphone came true. Think about that. When I walk in a room, they don't say rapper Daryl McDaniels or MC Daryl. The king! The king is here! Puffy, Diddy, 50 Cent, everywhere I go. The king has walked in the room. Radio, and the, the king has walked in. And I sit there and I laugh. I said, I was just choking. <laughs> but look at the power of make-believe. You know what I'm saying? And my whole thing is, you know, Hollywood, you know, us geeks and nerds were very critical. So, so far, Hollywood is doing a good job representing us. But if they get anything wrong, you know what I'm saying? You, okay, y'all can make the money, make that money. But don't disrespect us. And that's the thing that we represent. Everything that's going on in Hollywood, I really don't need this, the movie because I had the comic book. You don't need that. So we're watching them like this. One mess up. <laughs> One mess up. <laughs> but think about that. I had the comic book. And the thing that inspired me to do the comic book, I never really wanted to do a comic book. I went in, and I'm saying all of this because on all levels, we are connected. Look at this room. Look how diverse this room is. And then when you look at the audience of creators and writers and pencilers and anchors and animators and, you know, everybody from Disney to Pixar and all of that, we are some of the most powerful people on the face of the planet. But at one time, we was looked down like it was uncool. So I went in for a music meeting, and this is how deep we all go with our imaginations and creativity and our geeky and our little nerdy ways and likes and stuff like that. I go in for a music meeting at Atlantic Records. I went for a music meeting, and I sat down with this young man named Riggs Morales, who was Eminem's A&R over at Shady Records for the Rise of That Great Empire. So I sit down with Riggs, and Riggs goes, yo, I'm usually very professional. And he used these words. But DMC, man, you was like my superhero, man, the way you grew up and this and that, and the way you rhyme and the way you look. And he just asked me, what was it like when you was a kid? And I just explained to him, well, I went to Catholic school my whole life, and all I did was read, collect, and draw comic books. And true story, Rick said, comic books? And I was like, yeah, comic books. He said, he looked around, comic books? And I was like, why are you whispering? Yeah, comic books. We sat there for three hours, and we talked about comic books. I grew up in Hollis, Queens, New York. He grew up, um, you know, Latino guy from, from um, the Bronx or whatever. And at the end of that, he said, yo, D, you should do a comic book. And I said, nope. You're not going to get me in trouble. You ain't going to have my fellow geeks and nerds mad at me. Here comes another hip-hop dude thinking just because he got another hit record, he could do anything. Because hip-hop has a way of doing something for financial gain and then letting it die. You know what I'm saying? I come from that place where what we do, it has to be generationally and eternally impactful. So I said, nah, Riggs, I don't want to do a combo. I don't want hip-hop mad at me. I don't want um, comic book culture mad at me. He said, yo, D, with this book, you can do everything and more you've been doing with your music for 35 years. And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, inspire, motivate, educate, and entertain. And when he said those words, because that's what those comic books has done for me. So if I could pay that for it, and then Riggs took it a step further. 
He said, everybody in every generation, we know it's not true, but they look at us, us geeks and nerds like we suckers and we soft, we don't and we, we ain't cool. Now all of a sudden, because Black Panther's out, we cool now. But we've been cool. So Rick said, yo, D, if you stand up in front of a room, in front of everybody, and say... Superman and Batman was having a fight, giving me inspiration for a song I can write. Now, when I came along as the son of the bife, and my physical form is how I celebrate life. No, I don't need a preacher and I don't need a priest. Just give me Mel and Mo D on a beat with a speech. I got a good reputation and I rep for the streets. But for your information, I am king of the geeks. Forget the Greek God. I am a geek God. I get to speak hard because I hit the beats hard. You see this belt buckle? I wear it all day. So every time that you see me, I am chilling with Jay. It's just a simple dedication to my mom and my dad. Here's some youthful information. Don't get me mad. Don't treat me like I'm soft just because I'm a nerd, because I'll rip your fucking head off, and that is my word. Yeah. So, That's what I'm talking about, D. So, so take, we represent, man. Right. Take that, Whole Foods. Darren, so, D. Darren, Dino, just put the mics down. Let's just, let's just. All right, so you guys, like, like, we're so, never going to Real quick, that. D. Um, just so everyone here knows, DMC was kind enough to bring a bunch of comic books for us to give away to everyone in the audience. Um, I don't know if it's enough for everyone. I may have over-exaggerated that because I can't see everyone from this chair. And I don't know how many people are in here. I'm going to lift you up so you can see everybody. But this, this is a very interactive podcast, so please feel free to call Sally Jesse in the back with the microphone. Yes. And he, you look like Sally Jesse Raphael right now. I'm sorry. And Steve Wilkos. Uh, like unless a Sally Jesse Raphael had a really bad weekend. <laughs> so so but D- feel free to interact, and if you have questions, just flag down Rob. He'll bring the microphone over you. Shout out. Um, and please, please be interactive. Because yeah, I'm not just yeah, giving I, these away. You've got to kind of earn them. Because so. So, so, I'm terrible. As Dino knows, I'm terrible at paying attention to yes. a lot of things. Uh, my mind drifts off really fast, and I don't know why, but... On that note, we did bring you a gift. The three of us got you a gift. Oh, really? Um, yes, we did. So, funny story. Uh-huh. Um, I wound up at the Oscars this year, randomly. Um, oh, and we won't, really? get in, we won't get into the details they of that. Peter you do. He stole a Grammy originally. <laughs> I did. Uh, He's no, the guy that stole the Grammy. <laughs> hey, you want some? And he take a picture of you with this. <laughs> um, so, they were at the gifting suite, they, were, they had this stationed here. Um, and I know how big you are into your background, your family, history, and everything. And so they were giving out star charts, mapping your star chart from when you were born. The day you were born. This yep. Star so we got what? you this. The day you were born. Oh, This wow. is your constellation awesome. and your star chart from the day you were born. For real? For wow. real. Wow. And there's a certificate really? in the back and everything. Yep. That's crazy. Hey, if you want, we'll sign it for you, too. <laughs> I actually you have to sign I brought it. Sharpies in case anyone recognized me, which well, they I, never do. You know, I, I loved you on Game I of Thrones. As viewed from Harlem, New York. That's amazing. Yep. So, wow. I mean, I didn't make it. The stars made it. No, no, yeah. no. It's yeah, yeah. amazing. But I do have Sharpies in every color. All right, Dean, yeah. I have a question for you. Yes. When you first got famous, right, how often were you pestered for autographs? Was it a lot? Was Wait. it a little? Right when, when you first hit, right in the beginning. Maybe before you it had major little, It was a little. It was a little bit. Because when we first started, all of the so-called hip-hop celebrities we wasn't really celebrities because we were still on the corner with the fans. We were still taking the buses. We're still going to the same places where we shop. We were still going to the same restaurants. So people, we wasn't like, the problem with hip hop now is bodyguards, get away from me. I'm not signing that. You know what I'm saying? So it was just like, we were normal. We were dudes from the neighborhood. It didn't get bananas until 86. In 86, when Walk This Way dropped, my joke is, I know how Mick Jagger felt. Wow. Like, 
I, I would be on a Grand Central Parkway driving, almost causing accidents because people looked over and saw that it was DMC. But prior to that, hip-hop wasn't about being outside or above people. It was about being a representative of the people. And that's more powerful than having somebody have, having to get you on the Well, the, there's a reason I'm asking, because Darren brought up his Sharpies that he carries with him everywhere. Oh, now, about How long ago was it? 10 years ago? 11 years ago? It was Yuka. 10 who, years ago. My, actually, my old boss. So the, the combo connection, how we know D, is I used to work with Stan Lee. Um, and the Marvel Universe and Disney and, and coming up in that world. And I was a child superhero. Uh, which he was on Stan's show, Who Wants to Be a Superhero? Uh, anyway, oh, and we... We use the term superhero it, loosely. We, we very, very loosely. Um, but um, I met Dee through Stan and through yes, uh, some of the stuff that we did at conventions and, and yeah. Dee's comic book. And I think, Yuka, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm calling you out right now because you're right there, and I'm pointing to you. Uh, how long ago was that? The show? The show. When I pushed the kid into the fountain and lost? Oh, I think that was... Which was an accident? Total accident. Wow. 2006. So I, over. I hear people the reason chuckling, why... and I, I sort of I need to elaborate on this, if you, if you don't mind. Well, you, somebody please, ask please. you for an autograph? Yeah. And D- just oh, wait. No, no. It's, it's oh, no. Oh, no. Dude, I will worse. get to that, believe oh, me. Oh, what? Darren's whole challenge on who wants to be a superhero was he had to finish a race, but the twist was at the end was a little lost girl. That they right. didn't know about. That they didn't know about, but they were, they were told they needed to be aware of twists and turns. Right. So Darren is just focused on winning the race and beating the other real-life superheroes. Right. And this little girl, about that tall, about three three or four feet, right. is crying, saying, please help me, I need to find my mommy. And Darren basically goes by with his hand and mushes her in oh, the face to <laughs> shove her down, going, beat it, kid, Hold I got up. a race you to put, win. put the race yes. over the little girl? In my defense. Yeah. No, in my no defense, defense today. I, yeah. I'm a New Yorker. He's there is no defense. <laughs> I'm a New Yorker and I'm in tights. No, <laughs> and you never want to stop to talk to a child. That's so bad. <laughs> and the kid I, is crying, going, "Please, my mother's oh my lost. Goodness. I need." He's like, "I don't want to hear your story. Hit the bricks, kid." Oh, and he man. just kept oh, going. My and then celebrated that he was the fastest time. And then they're like, "Yeah, you, you are you've been eliminated." <laughs> now you he, he then subsequently he subsequently gets kicked off the show. Because he missed the challenge. That day. That day. That day. Wow. Now, we fast forward months, and he and I go to a Met game in Queens. and Somebody noticed him? He's carrying around Sharpies and business cards with his big mook face on it in costume, hoping someone will ask him for an autograph. Oh, really? And as we're walking around, he's just fumbling with them. He's, like, accidentally dropping yeah, his yeah, cards. Yeah, trying to hoping. get attention there. And, I, and I'm yelling Nobody at him. Nobody ever asked him for it. I said, nobody pays attention, Darren. This is New York. Nobody cares. Put, you, put your shit away and let's just go. Just as that happens, someone comes up and says, weren't you Nitro on the show? He goes, yes, I was. Can I have your autograph? And it's like the world stopped. And Darren turns and looks at me and goes, right? <laughs> that's so adorable. People still ask for autographs. From like, me or in general? Just in general. Just in yeah. general. But what because I didn't realize in Vegas, too. The, the, other, reason... funny, the other day I was um, at the last OG screening, and uh-huh. Tracy Morgan was in the same row as me. Right. And this girl walks up to him and asks for an autograph like she actually has the pen yeah, and yeah, the paper. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that's so adorable. Oh. <laughs> because, like, in the smartphone world, right, like, just the selfie, that's like an autograph yeah, in that's itself. True too. So, and, of course, of she asked for a What I figured out is in his, in his diabolical mind, he kept walking five or six feet either in front or right behind me, and I couldn't figure out why. Then I realized he was making like I was his security, oh, <laughs> just walking around. That's real funny. You know, oh, D, um, you, you mentioned how Peter Parker inspired you. Um, Darren yes. was actually, Stan Lee inspired Darren with Peter Parker. Why don't you tell him how that what? happened? Oh, that story? Um, and I think Rob, actually, Yuka was there for that. 
Um, it was 2012, and we were on the set of Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stan was doing his cameo in front of Grand Central Station, and he just finished talking to me about how that was the Pan Am building about 50 years prior yes, to that. Yes, it, yeah. it was in all the Marvel books. Yep. And That's so, where I learned it from a Marvel book. And, See, the Pan Am yeah. building. Well, he, he used <clears throat> everything that he knew yep. and built it into the universe. And so I started working with Stan. He was my idol. I was taking photos for him and, and making sure I documented everything. And they just wrapped you know, his cameo, and I have the camera. And he looks over at me, and he goes, you know something? You could have played Peter Parker in the Spider-Man films. Nuff said. And I was like, oh, my God, this is my idol telling me that, like, I'm, I'm Spider-Man. This is great. I'm going to text Rob and let him know he ain't shit and that this happened. It always comes back yeah, to me. It always texts Rob. And so he walks over to Craft Services, and there's a guy there who's built like Dino. And for those of you who can't see what Dino looks like, buff, he's pretty fat. Good looking. And chiseled. It's Greek, and he's, he's a big, big dude, and he hands Stan a plate to go get food. And he looks over and just goes, wow, that was super heroic. You know something? You could have played Peter Parker in the Spider-Man film. <laughs> and he looks back at me and just goes, ha-ha, and just went right on to. And right then and there, I was like, I'm still going to text Rob and tell him he ain't shit. <laughs> and I'm Spider-Man. Yeah, but, too. I mean, that's the kind of guy Stan was and Stan is. Yeah, he's, he's very yeah. fun. He's friendly. He's like your grandfather that you love hanging out with. Because he'll always take you out and spoil you and joke around with you and let you know that you ain't shit. You just said because he gives you ice cream. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we traveled around a lot. D, how was? I uh, heard you had a hard time getting here with the weather back east. No, it was. It was. It was. No, that was me. It was. I was anyway, you mixed this up. Yeah. I mean, I'm used to not, not like the, the the thing that bugs me out is that why are you going to get mad at the person standing in front of you telling you about the difficulties with your flight? Are you taking notes, Darren? Funny story. I don't know why. <laughs> like, they don't... They, there's nothing... Shut up! Like, I feel... D, not, I wish you traveled with us. the problem. I don't care how mad you get. And second of all, it's a damn machine, so it's not dependable. You know what I'm saying? Third of all... It's flying into the sky, and if there's a wind blowing, of course they're going to put safety of the pee if it's red. Like, people are just so ready. Shut up, sit down, and wait to do something marvelous. You're going to be um, Oh, we're the, just going to take CK, part of the miracle of a flight. comedian named C.K., Louis C.K., he said, just sitting on a damn machine flying across the world. Shut up. Let him get it right. D, but the that problem, just pisses the me problem off. With Dar- for Darren isn't the and machine. And another thing I'm going to start doing, nobody's allowed to take carry-ons on a plane. <laughs> so that just ended yeah. there. None of your stuff. Your work is not that important. Maybe you need to sit on a plane and start talking to the person next to you. I mean, back in the day, it used to be newspapers. Now, if you walk in the airport, everybody's like this. Nobody's sitting up saying, hey, how you doing, man? So we got to change some of that stuff. But I just had to vent. D, it's it's not like, the airplane. It's not the, the, what do you call the lady at the check-in? Flight attendant? No, check-in that's lady? on a plane. The lady oh. at the check-in, what is it? The check-in lady. The check-in the counter. Check-in counter the lady. check-in person. It's it didn't feel like it was that hard, Dave. <laughs> See, D, so, it's not those people that Darren has a problem with. It's everybody else at the airport that he I, has a problem we with. We almost got turned off our flight on the way here. Um, in my defense, I'm from New York. Um, and live in L.A., and I'm just very angry. Why does everybody laugh at that anywhere? when he says that? This is Texas. So we, we had like a 4.30 in the morning flight coming here. So we're already mad. I'm already angry. From L.A.? Yeah, because it's 4.30 in the morning, that's, and I don't yeah, like to be bothered. too early. I just have no tolerance. And we full get on the flight. plane, full flight, Southwest Air. We get on the plane. Nobody's saying anything. 
Because it's 4.30 in the morning. No one's saying anything. Everyone understands it's 4.30. We're all miserable. No one wants to fly. Except. Except one guy. Uh-huh. And he sits right behind me oh, and just starts talking about the record label company to anybody who would listen. What? With nobody responding to him for an hour and a half straight, what? shouting. Not on a phone. Not on a phone, just annoying. talking. Boy, really? To whoever, the whole flight. I've never experienced that. That's crazy. Yes. 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 Oh, hi. hi. You are wonderful. Everyone, Everyone, this is money. Rob. Money. This is are you going to be able to get up, Rob? Are you good? I'm Man, thank God this isn't visual. <laughs> hey, I actually have a question for Jamie about MQA. So uh, I love the episodes you did about Bitch Planet, and I love Penny Roll, but you didn't do an episode about Cam. So I was wondering how you pick which characters you highlight on MQA. Oh, that's a great question. Well, Penny Roll was a character that I just was very connected with in that comic book. But I know Cam is, like, um, the more prominent character. So she is someone that we're actually considering for the new season. Um, But I actually had a conversation with Kelly Sue DeConnick at Dragon Con. And she was talking a lot about Penny. And I was just really inspired by the story and really wanted to dive deep and kind of share that story with all of our listeners on MQA. So that's how she got picked. Yeah. So, uh, because you asked a question and you were brave, I'm going to give you a choice. Would you like DMC's comic or would you like a super bitchin' DMC pin? Both of my No! <laughs> oh, don't be greedy. I know that's Now you're just being greedy. Talk. You know what? You know what? Yes, it is. Yeah. Just because you asked. So cool. There you go. So, shoot someone shot, else isn't getting something because money was bold. <laughs> Why? Do you have something you have to say? Wait, oh, wait, then wait don't for cry. After the show. You could just come up and say anything you wanted, but no. <laughs> What's your Free name? Stuff. Hi, Rashida. I'm Rob. Nice to meet you. See, it's like Sally Jesse Raphael. Yes, it is. It's just like it. I told you. I just need the glasses. That's he does have the glasses. I'm telling you, Steve Wilkos, bro. I don't like any of you. That's who you are. You're Steve Wilko. <laughs> yeah. And I thought Get we off were my stage. Stage. Wait, wait, wait. She just had the greatest line ever for the day. She won what? the day. She gets whatever she wants. What did you so say? So money, if she wants that pin, you got to give it to her. What did you say? She <laughs> just said that you only take questions from people who have more hair than you. <laughs> that's the oh, entire yeah. room. So that's everybody except the carpet. Except that guy. <laughs> so, do you have a question for anybody up there? Um, I don't have a particular question. I'm just enjoying hearing the stories because podcasting, you know, you don't really see, you don't really think that, like, black people are really into right. the comic books. Like, oh, my no, boyfriend no. is a comic, I mean, he probably has, like, 5,000 comic books, and it's just inspiring and encouraging to see that, you know, in the age that we live in now, being right. a nerd is the thing to be, but yep. it always has been the thing to be. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm just we've enjoying all of that. Yeah, we've been here, right. and it's, it's just dope. I'm just loving it. It's, yes, a, it's not a good like, time. Like, like, good time. Like, 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 not you get a book. all black people, I tell young kids, I go speak at high schools and middle schools now. And, I, you know, they look at me. They know Tricky. They know the, you know, the, the mothers and fathers. And they, I've been around. Say, I've been around so long, the grandmothers and grandfathers know me. But I tell kids, hip-hop didn't just create rappers. Yeah. Everybody think hip-hop's create rappers. And then within the black community, everybody think, okay, if you're from the hood and you're down with hip-hop, you could rap, you could be an athlete. Or you could be a thug, which is totally, we created hip hop so those kids wouldn't only have those things to be um, inspired to become. You know what I'm saying? Because it's always most of that, yo, I'm gonna make a rap song to get records, or I'm gonna sell drugs to get money, or, you know, you, you join a gang to have family. But in my school, when I was proud to proudly displaying my comic books, I made six and seven new friends. Who otherwise, you know, 
It's not that we're shy and we're scared of the bullies. It's just the bullies ain't interesting. I don't want to hang with you guys. You guys are cool. You guys are not cool. You guys are not, though. Because your creativity, your elements, when you, you know, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's poetry, it's the arts that succeeds where politics and religion fails. The arts pick up that slack. Well, I was going to yeah. give you a comic book, but then you said your boyfriend has 17,000, so you get, you get nothing. <laughs> he can lose. He can well, lose I'll give you the super bitchin' pin. How about that? Well, I'll try with you later. Can uh, it be bought? We can work something out. We can work something so, out. Talk, I can be bought. Talking about inspirations and on that, and the guy behind you does have a question I know next. I was, but I was moonwalking. Yeah. On, yes, you were, sure. Speaking of inspirations, so the next person who can name who inspires DMC and who his musical inspiration is can get a comic book. All right. How? Wow, that How was did really. You know that? You've heard the podcast before. He's like, I'm a right. fan. Well, <laughs> she, she not my inspiration. Sarah McLachlan saved my life. Yes. Yeah, yeah I was um, 1993. Run DMC put out a new single, a new album called Down with the King. And prior to that, prior to this Down with the King song, we was respected. But nobody cared. We was the OGs in hip-hop. You know what I'm saying? But we still respected Run DMC, Pioneers, Godfather. But in the 90s, hip-hop had changed. So Pete Rock, one of the legendary producers of hip-hop, produced a song on the Down With The King album called Down With The King. That record put us back on the charts, back on the radios, back on the tours, to where literally we was back in the midst of hip-hop in the 90s with all this new hip-hop, Pac, Biggie, everybody. And everybody was like, like, before they used to worship but now they bowing to us. Right when it happened, you would think, oh, I'm back, I'm happy, this and that. Right when it happened, I wanted to kill myself. I just woke up, when Down With The King dropped, I woke up the next day and just didn't want to live no more. And I was struggling with these suicidal thoughts. I went through a crazy depression. Um, I wanted to drink the poison, shoot myself in the head and jump off the roof and all that. But I was still going through the motions because at that time, instead of stopping everything and taking care of myself, which is the only selfishness that should exist, is you making sure you feel good about yourself. The money, family, friends, even the kids ain't important because none of your relationships, business, family, love, family, blood, nothing is right in your life if you're not right with yourself. So I'm going through the motions because the true story, I said, I'm not going to kill myself now because if I kill myself and mess up the money, Ren and Jay going to be mad at me. <laughs> so here I am depressed, still worrying about other people. So make a long story short, it finally got to the point where I said, I can't take it no more. There was just something in me that didn't feel right. And I would, I would be laying there on the road going, okay, I'm Daryl McDaniels from Hollis, Queens, New York. Life in the band is my mother and father. Alfred's my brother. Running Jay and my friends. This thing called hip hop comes over the bridge. Uh, I went two semesters in St. John's University. We made a record. Just wanted to get one record on the radio for one summer. That was a hit. Then it turned to the albums. And it was just something that was messing with me. And that emptiness became so painful and hurtful that I was going to kill myself. I said, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump. But then I said, oh, wait. Um, if I jump now, if I kill myself now, people gonna, people ain't going to know who DMC is. So I'm going through these motions, going through these motions. I come off the road one day and I get in the car from, from, um, I'm coming from Europe and now I'm really pissed cause I live in Jersey, but they flew me into JFK. 
So now, I'm really going to kill myself now. <laughs> See, it's so, a New York thing. Yeah. Yeah. That'll so, show yeah. him. So make a long story short, I get in the car, and the, the guy that was driving the car, now look, I'm an alcoholic, suicidal, metaphysical, spiritual record's about to jump. So I get in the car, and the guy who's driving me, hey, Mr. McDaniels, we're going to Wayne, New Jersey. I'm like, yeah, cool. So as we, going out, as we are going out of um, JFK, you know, there's like three stoplights. So we get to the first light. He looks in the rear view manual. You know, I'm back there thinking how I'm going to kill myself. And I look up, he turns his head. Get to the next stoplight. He's looking at me because he can't believe DMC's in his car. <laughs> I look up in my despair. He turns his head. So at the third, next stoplight, I say, I'm going to catch him. So I'm, I'm waiting for him. <laughs> so he turns and he sees me looking like this. And I say, so, yo, what's up with you? So he turns around and says, Mr. McDaniels, please don't tell my boss, man. I might get fired, but you, you inspired me. Your, your, music got me from, your music got me through some of the hardest times in my life, this and that. Can I get a picture? I'm saying, all you wanted was a picture? I said, not only that, I'll give you an autograph too. Really? So now he's open. So he turns the radio on to Hot 97 in New York City. At that time in my life, the last thing I wanted to do was hear hip-hop. And I'm like, yo, please turn it to any other station except that rap crap. So he turns it to Light FM. And on the radio was Sarah McLachlan's Angel song, In the Arms of an Angel. Right then and there, something in me said, Daryl, life may be messed up, but if something this beautiful exists, it's good to be alive. And that record, that, the feeling that that record gave me kept me from jumping. Wow. Amazing. That's a powerful thing. That's a great story. Does she know? Does she yes. know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it didn't end there. So now after that, you can ask my manager, Eric. That's Eric right there, my manager. So now for, all, for one whole year, all I did was listen to Sarah McLaughlin's Angel. Everywhere I go, they would come to pick me up. This is before Jam Master J got shot. I'm listening to Sarah McLaughlin. I'm on a rise out of my depression and Jam Master J got shot and killed. So it was this up and down thing. But because I had this record, no matter what I went through, all I had to do was put that. I didn't need nothing. I didn't need money, fortune, and fame. It was just something about that record. So for one whole year, all I'm doing is listening to Sarah McLaughlin records. I went out and brought all, like I knew of her, but I didn't know her. So I went out and brought Building a Mystery, her first album and everything. At the end of that year, my manager, Eric, takes me to Clive Davis' Grammy party in L.A. And I look at him. He comes to me, yo, we going to Clive Davis? I said, no, you're going to Clive Davis' Grammy party. He was like, what are you talking about? All I need to do for the rest of my life is sit here and listen to this record. <laughs> so make a long story short, he says, yo, D, he, he goes like this, yo, I work, he got two tickets. I work real hard to get these tickets. And the only reason I went is because I looked Eric in his eye and I said, this motherfucker and sold his soul to the devil just to go to Clive Davis' stupid party. So make a long story short, we get to Clive Davis' Grammy party. I get inside the Grammy party, I'm sitting there. He's like, yo, D, because him and my publicist was like this, keep him busy. Keep him busy so he don't have any time to kill himself. So we get to the Grammy, oh, true story. We get to the Grammy party, he's like, yo, D, go do the red carpet and this. And I say, nope. I only came here because your stupid ass sold your soul to the devil to get here. I'm here for one hour and I'm going back to my hotel room to listen to Sarah McLaughlin say. <laughs> so he's trying to be the manager. He's like, yo, access Hollywood Entertainment tonight. I'll begin the countdown. 59, 58, 57. So he gets frustrated. He walks away. I take a chair. I put it right by the front door because I'm saying to myself in an hour, I'm out of here. I'm going back to listen to Sarah McLaughlin. So through the doorway comes Stevie Wonder. And he don't see me. 
<laughs> How did he miss you? Dude, no, no. Dude, no, it's true. Through the door, see me. Once. We know it's true. He don't see me. No, the reason why I say he don't see me is he don't see me, but his boy does. His boy sees me, so his boy. Direct Stevie over. His boy's using Stevie, who didn't see me, to meet DMC. So he brings me over there, and Stevie Wonder's coming over to me, and I'm hating on Stevie. Y'all can read this in my book, 10 Ways Not to Commit Suicide. The things I said about Stevie were wrong, but I was in that place. So he comes over, great, great to meet you, this and that. He walks away. Buster Rhymes comes in. That's the last person I want to see because I'm just there. I'm trying to get back to my Sarah McLaughlin CD that's in my room. Buster, I don't want nobody to see me. Buster Rhymes, ladies and gentlemen, this is hip hop personified. These guys didn't just change music, they changed the world. My Adidas and Buster, I'm like, this motherfucker, I wish you just shut up there. So Buster walks away, then Alicia Keys walks in. Alicia Keys never met me before. She was like, oh, I always see Run and I always see Russell. Hey, come on, I never seen you. It's a pleasure to meet you. And then I'm hating on her. You can read what I said about her. It wasn't personal, it was just how I felt in my depression at the time. So she she walks away. Guess who walks in? Sarah Mc. <gasps> That's that lady who's rich. That's that lady. Yeah, all of that. Yeah, she walks in with like Rick James, just an orange glow. No, all of that. So I'm like, yo, that's that lady who record got you keeping keeping your ass alive. So I tell myself, D, get it together, walk on over there, and say something to her. So as I was walking over to her, she sees me coming, and she goes, DMC, run DMC. It's tricky to rock around, rock around, and so I don't tell my Adidas walk this way. I love you guys. So in my depressed mind, I'm going, see, Daryl, that's another example why you shouldn't kill yourself. Even Sarah McLaughlin likes you. So I just look at her and say, Miss McLaughlin, I just want to tell you something. The name of the record is Angel. You sound like an angel. And people say you're an angel, but you're not an angel to me. You're God. I listen to your record every day, no matter what. So I'm going on. So now she's like this now. Because she's thinking all I wanted to do was say hi to his ass. So I finished my little rant, and um, she's look, she ain't know what to say. So she says, thank you for telling me that, Daryl. That's what music is supposed to do. Shakes my hand, and she walks away. Three years go by. Let's go back to me saying, if I die tomorrow, um, people know the DMC, run DMC story, but they don't know the little boy, Daryl. So just in case I was really going to jump, because... You know, maybe the record wasn't going to work one day. I said, I'm going to write a book. And in the book, I wanted to say, hey, world, I'm Daryl McDaniels from the groundbreaking rap group Run DMC. Yeah, you know me. I'm DMC, the king of rock. First to go gold, first to go platinum, first on the cover Rolling Stone, first with the big tools, first with the sneaker deals, first with the endorsements, first with the movies. Everything that hip-hop is doing, they say it's because of me running Jay. But I'm really just Daryl McDaniels from Hollis, Queens, New York, a normal little kid like all the boys and girls in the world who was born May 31st, 1964. Oh. I know my birthday, but I don't know no details. So I called my mom's up just to make it more interesting for the reader. I didn't call my mom's up and say, Mom, I'm going to kill myself, so I need to know this information. I said, Yo, Mom, I'm writing a book, and just to make it more, more interesting to the reader, how much did I weigh? What hospital? What time I was born? She told me those three things. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Mom. I love you. Hung up the phone. An hour goes by. The phone rings. I pick it up. It's my mother and my father. I'm an alcoholic, suicide, a metaphysical, spiritual wreck that's about to jump. I'm already going to get out of here. My mother and father hit me, hits me with this. We have something else to tell you. Okay, what is it? You was a month old when we brought you home and you're adopted, but we love you. Bye. Oh, wow. I found out that I was adopted at age 35. And it was the most traumatic, um, um, 
depressing, 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 depressing revelation. But right then and there, peace came over me. And I thought about my situation. These people around me that loved me. My mother and father sent me to every school that I went to. My mother and father worked to pay for me to go to, and I'm not even theirs. And I just thought about the beautiful life that I had. So in the midst of all that depression and despair and darkness, I know a lot of people going through stuff don't know that there's no matter what you're going through, there's a light there. So my light was this. Oh, if the one thing that I can do that's going to do anything is I want to make a song that's going to, touch people who are in my situation. <gasps> and I'm going to call that lady up who three years ago kept me from jumping. So make a long story short. Eric, get Sarah McLaughlin on the phone. Daryl, what's this about? Don't worry about it, motherfucker. Just get on the phone. <laughs> so he finds Sarah McLaughlin. Yo, she's going to call you in an hour. Pick up the phone when it rings because I never pick up the phone when he calls me. So Sarah McLaughlin calls and I say, Miss McLaughlin, hey, how you doing? She says, hey, Daryl, what's up? I go, okay, here we go. If you thought I was crazy three years ago, you're going to really think I'm crazy now. Remember when I met you and I told you what your record did for me? She said, yeah. Well, I just found out that I was adopted, and I want to do a song that's going to speak to people who are feeling like me the way your song spoke to me when I was feeling down and depressed. And I want to use Harry Chapin's Cats in the Cradle, which was a song about a father who had no time for a child. But for some reason, when I was a little kid, it was my favorite record to hear. And when I was a little kid playing, and that would come on, Child is Born Just the Other Day. Came into the Cats in the Cradle for some reason. I love that record. Well, you so must have been a lot of fun at parties. I'm going to tell you how you I'm going to put on that cradle. Harry Chapin. Huh? Put on that Harry Chapin. Yeah, We're going to kill it. Harry Chapin. Harry Chapin's, Harry Chapin's gangster, man. Don't get it twisted. So I said, I want to make this record with you, this and that. So she goes, yes, I'll do the record. And I go, hold on, hold on. Wait, I didn't even do my pitch yet. Because you got to think about it. You got to go through management. You got to go through label clearance, this and that. She says, no, Daryl, I'll do the record. So now I'm losing. Oh, my God, Eric, we're going to make this record. We're going to bring her to New York City, put her in the best hotel on first class. She says, no, Daryl, you can come to my house in Vancouver to make the record. So I think. I wake up, we in Sarah McLaughlin's house, but here's the killer, y'all. This is what I said, how we connected all. And remember, she said, that's what music is supposed to do. So remember, I'm depressed. I want to kill myself. I hear a song in a car. I go out and I live with that record for one whole year. I go to a party I didn't want to go to. Who walks in? I meet her. She says, thank you for telling me that, Daryl. That's what music is supposed to do. Three years go by. I find out that I'm adopted. In the midst of that despair, depression, um, traumatic revelation, I see the light that she gave me that I want to share with the world. So I call her back up and say, let's do this record. It took us two days to make, record the record. When I was leaving, she turns to me and says, Daryl, there's something else I need to tell you before you go. And I go, what's that? She goes, I was adopted too, and I did not know that. Oh, wow. See, it was the feeling, her feeling I could identify. Prior, in a depression, you feel that nobody understands what you're going through, and it's true. But I say this. Unless you reveal how you feel, whether good or bad, you will never heal. There's a lot of stigma and ashamedness with having a mental issue. Now, we celebrate people when they say, I feel like a million bucks. I feel like I could take on the world. But when somebody says, I don't feel like myself today, I don't feel like it. We all, you're weirdo, this and that. It's nothing wrong with somebody saying they don't want to live no more. What's been wrong since the dawn of time is the way we all react to that person. 
I don't look at you funny when you say, I feel cold. What I'll do, I'll turn the heat up or give you a jacket. I can't tell you, when I was depressed, people around me, not Eric. Eric just thought I was crazy. Everybody would say this to me because I'm DMC. Don't feel depressed, D, because you're a DMC. Or they telling me don't. Or they say you shouldn't feel depressed because, because of what? I can't tell you don't feel hungry. I can't tell you don't feel tired. It was a feeling. And unless you admit, admit how you feel, whether good or bad, you will never heal. I wasn't ashamed to tell my truth. Once I spoke my truth, I found the roots to those problems or direction out of it. And the last thing, if you don't admit how you feel, whether good or bad, you'll never heal. That rhymes. But also this, no matter what you're going through in life, if you remove the pain. Now, the, the, the reason why I bring this up to you is because of this. When Riggs, who encouraged me to do the comic book, encouraged me to do the comic book because I can entertain, inspire, and, um, um, and um, educate people the same way I did with my music, Riggs looked at me and said, oh, shit, D, this is fucking crazy. And I was like, what the fucking bad language is for? He said, you're some real superhero shit. And I said, what you talking about, D? He said, you got two personalities. You're Daryl McDaniels and you're the mighty DMC, the king of rock. You know what I'm saying? I transform. When I get on this microphone, I train king of rock. But then he said this. He said, D, your fucking existence is actually like a superhero. Like all of us have, it's cliche. We all have a superpower and this and that. But he said, D, you've been manifesting that right in front of all our faces. I said, why? He said, most superheroes are adopted. What are you talking about? Superman came from somewhere else. His parents kept him and put him up. Spider-Man, his parents died. Aunt May, Batman became a, or oh, shoot. So he said all of those things. So for me, I say this, the revelation of me being adopted didn't come to me when I was little because I had to go through the whole King of Rock DMC thing because I don't think I'm celebrity. I don't think that what I represent to all people on a microphone and with this book, even artistically, is purpose and destiny. It was my purpose and destiny to become the King of Rock, the mighty, the third member of Run DMC. But it was for a bigger reason, just being known for making rhymes. It was a bigger, it was for me to be able to speak for all those kids getting bullied. It's for me to speak for all those people going through depression. The one thing that I represent is I went to therapy and for all you men in here especially black men there's nothing wrong admitting that you have a weakness matter of fact a weakness and approaching that weakness and talking about it and not being ashamed that you have a weakness is no different from having a good piece of fried chicken it's all relevant and it'll bring you to those good feelings so that's what I represent and so uh, I know we're running out of time we have about roughly eight more minutes left and I want to make sure we get to their questions that they have over there and so here's my good friend Kazika. He has a question for you. Real quick, uh, I'm, I'm a parent of two uh, kids, and I liked comic books back in the day, but the challenge I had is that because none of my friends outwardly uh, said that they liked comic books, I kind of hit it. And what I found with my kids is that, particularly my son, he's in the D&D and comic books. And so I've had to... Uh, uh, be patient with myself because I don't want him to be picked on and teased and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm wondering, and I guess I, I want to hear a female voice right now, what would, advice would you give a parent about dealing with their kid uh, because they're into comic books and they may be a little nerdy, but they want to be supportive of their son or daughter as they kind of take that on as a, uh, as a hobby or interest or whatever? 
Well, I would encourage them to attend Comic-Con. I mean, that's a beautiful place where so many parents bring their kids to uh, cosplay and attend different panels and pick and choose different comic books that they want. So um, the convention community is a great place to uh, be a gateway for them to be able to get into comics. And shameless plug, thank you uh, for bringing that up. Um, (laughs) I I co-founded a con called Universal Fan Con that's happening next month, April. April 27th through the 29th in uh, Baltimore. And we're really excited about this because it's the first time that we are creating a con that's going to celebrate diversity in a very profound way. So it's for women, people of color, people with disabilities, people in the LGBTQ community. And we are curating panels and events and discussions and conversations that are very inclusive. um, And it is very family friendly. So I would definitely start there. And there's a lot lot of online communities now that you know celebrate parents that are trying to get their kids into comic books so you could start with that blackgirlnerds.com is one of them um and and also different podcasters that talk about comics um so i a lot of the feedback that we get for misty Knight's uninformed afro as well as the black girl nerds podcast are from parents that are like thank you for this podcast because now I can talk to my kids about this and I can introduce them to this comic book. Um, so yeah, those are some avenues where you can definitely start. And I just, I just want to add, find out everything that they like and every day, once a week, bring them home a book, a book, a magazine, a toy. My father used to always bring me home um, the little figures, the little amigo, um, what are those, the figures? The the, leg, the figures, yeah, yeah all the yeah, figures. Yeah. So find out what your kids like and celebrate to them because what's that's going to do for them? If they know y'all got your back, they ain't going to care about these bullies and stuff like that because yep. you're going to empower them. Those, 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 the books, the comics, the toys and all that stuff, it's reinforcement that who they are as people is all right. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So if you bring it, find out if they like Batman, whatever, just bring home little surprises like you do for your wife. You know what I'm saying? When you bring your, oh, he brought me flowers today. So as a little kid, you know, oh, my dad brought, like, you'll become, you'll become their heroes. But reinforce that, because that's the common book. That's the confidence and power. Like, when I walk into every scenario now, um, I didn't add that. When I went, I discovered therapy because I went to rehab to stop drinking. What I did my whole career was I thought my comic books was in the 40 ounce of old English or the Jack Daniels or the Jim Beam. When I removed it, my therapist asked me, what, what, do you, what's, what, what do you feel that's missing? My comic books. So I went back to my comic books. My whole flow and my presentation and my representation was because of that superhero stuff. So if you find out what your kids like and then feed them the thing that they like because it's not only going to help them now, when they get grown, that'll become their foundation. That's their confidence. Hey, my daughter's obsessed with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. There's not too many action figures of her. So <laughs> funny, Funny story. Dino, now you're just showing off. Dino, to back that up, Dino and I went to a party and I had one drink too many, which was one because I'm five foot four and and couldn't take it. They were giving out Hot Wheels and we took a bunch of Hot Wheels. I had those. Yeah, and we used them as yeah, bartering tools. Your pockets Darren with still has them. I still have the Batmobile one. We used them as bartering tools for free Uber rides and food at 7-Eleven because everyone apparently Don't let people Hot know what a bad person you are. Stop that. Okay, so <laughs> we, have, with you. I, we, we don't want to run out. Let's yeah, get that last one. Question. I have one more question with yeah. my friend Claire here. Hello, Claire. Hello. So I just wanted to say that um, in our society, it seems that there's a lot of loneliness and isolation, especially with all the new technology. And and like you were saying, um, uh, people 
are like this on their iPhones. And, and I just wanted to say that um, the comic books and the music and these are all the our only hope for yeah. being able to draw people out and, and experience culture and, and be a part of community. Of each other. And oh, if, for sure. if we didn't have you, then um, I would say we'd be in a lot of trouble. So oh, thank, well, thank you. you. Well, if we didn't, like I said, if we didn't hurt ours, think about it like this show. Think about how deep this is. Before the dictator, the tyrant takes over the people, before they start using the guns and beating us and hurting us physically, what is the first thing that they usually do? They've been doing it with the ISIL and stuff. The first thing they do is go into the towns and destroy the art. Go in the town and take all the paintings, destroy the books, go burn the libraries, find all the playwrights, find off the... That's what they do before they take us over. They kill our culture, they kill our creativity because that's what keeps us together. Now, once they do that, they're going to come and physically beat us up. And um, I had a talk with somebody that was from, um, um, I think it was Japan. They told me that 12 years ago. I said, I didn't think about it. The first thing they do when they want to destroy a culture and a people and totally annihilate, they come and burn down, the, kill the museum, the library. Once they f- kill all the physical books, they find out, um, who's the play right here? Hang them. Who's the, who's the sculptor? They kill all the artists and the poets and stuff like that, burn all the books. Then they start oppressing us. So you, you hit it right on the notes. We, we need to turn off the damn social media and start talking to each other. That's when you learn. I don't know. You know, I grew up in Hollis, Queens, New York. I never was in a gang. I didn't go to jail. I like my freedom. And I tell the kids I don't want to get shot because it hurts. It's not a sucker thing. I want to be up in the hospital and stuff like that. But how was Run DMC able to communicate with the dirt poor ghettos of Compton and then reach all the high minds of Yale? We came as we are. We came as we are. When you saw Run DMC, when you see me, you know what I'm saying? I made some badass records and two. But when you saw Run DMC, I'm talking about all those white kids that grew up watching Run DMC, all the black kids. Before we came along with this representation of all of us, hip-hop and rock and roll was separate. Because the black kids thought it wasn't cool to do rock and roll. And the white kids thought it was a black thing. No, it ain't. We all, everything that makes up this is, is all of us. And that's what this day is about. So on that note, um, our station manager is signaling us that we're out of time. Uh, just like he told us before we started that there was one word we couldn't say on air. And it's been said four times, which is Clive Davis. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there's one word just, just make sure you don't say this one word and just and, don't say Clive Davis yeah just don't say Clive Davis but um, I want to thank you very much for being here for opening up both thank of you, you. Jamie, thank Dee you. for it's coming here is this on TV? this is yeah. not on TV why this is not? On... <laughs> why not? it's the coolest show ever say it again why, why not why Andrew? why it tune in on TV? <laughs> you got all of these other why I ain't gonna say no names Monotony. This is so fun, man. This tune in. Tune in brings a lot of voices together. We'll, you, we'll she was amazing. Now, money, money was amazing. She had a podcast that she did here too at South by, and it was absolutely fun, amazing. Wow. The audience was big. Thrilled. Shout out to money. Yeah. I actually don't have a sharpie on me. The one, the one thing I, you're known it's for. In the, it's in the room, but we do have to wrap it up because we are getting signaled by four different people. Um, who are all looking at me because I made sure everyone else wrapped up fast enough. Yeah, that's five. And Eric, who's right over there, if you didn't point out to him yet. But thank you very much, thank Jamie, Dee, for being here, everyone for turning out. Make sure you come get your comic books, check out Coffee and Mayhem, download, tune in, and we're out. Right. Later.